Bible back to James chapter 1, please, and we'll look at there again as we begin the message from there, and we'll find ourselves in a couple of chapters away. The main idea of the series, too busy not to pray, and really if we understand what prayer is and what prayer does, then we get the idea that we truly believe, yeah, I am too busy not to pray. I have to pray to make it through the day. I've got, I need the Lord in everything that I do. Have we, have any of you like me experienced doing life without Jesus and found that you made a big mess of it? I mean, think before salvation, that's, that's uh, what life looks like without Christ. And as Christians, we tend to uh, keep God in our pocket. And when we need him the most, we pull him out, rub the lamp, and uh, hope that something fixes. You know, he fixes what we've, what mess we've gotten ourselves into. And we kind of view God as a janitor in that way. And uh, that's definitely not the right, the right attitude to have towards Christ. So two weeks ago, we looked at uh, things that, uh, why God would tell me no when I pray. And so we, we looked at, I might have the wrong will. I might have the wrong uh, timing. I might be the wrong, uh, the wrong request. Sometimes we don't know how we're supposed to pray like we're supposed to pray. And so that might be why. It might be that God uh, has something else in mind that I, I didn't. You know, uh, I wouldn't choose to suffer. Uh, I'm sure Job would not have chosen to go through what he did, yet God chose for him to go through what he did to prove to Job, to prove to Satan, and as a testament to all of us uh, throughout history, uh, look how one can stand uh, in the midst of trouble and stay and, and remain um, uh, integrity intact, remain faithful to God. Many, many uh, wonderful truths that uh, happened through the life of Job. But if we were to be able to talk to Job today, Job, would you, would you do it all over again? I don't know. That might be a loaded question. Would you have chosen this had you known it was going to come? Probably not. None of us would. We don't like pain because it hurts. <laughs> and, and we just, we'd rather not. Uh, go through things like that, and that might be, it might just be the wrong will. But today, I, I, uh, if I were to continue the, the, the little theme of wrong something or other, it's the wrong actions. And so today we'll look at, uh, three, and I'm gonna send you home with two, and you can look at them. Uh, wrong actions. This is why God might say no. Because there's sin in my life. The truth is that oftentimes I am to blame for my own unanswered prayers. I can't blame it. You ever, you ever heard people, you know, they get themselves in a situation like, well, the devil's really getting after me. Like, no, I think that was on you. Oh, well, the Lord's really testing me. Are you sure? You know, if I jump off a building and break my leg, say, wow, the devil's just sure fighting me today. No, you're just kind of clumsy <laughs> or uh, you're stupid. Uh, you know, we, we oftentimes give, uh, we blame God or give the devil too much credit. Sometimes it's just because we're being silly. We're being uh, like sheep. Oh, we like sheep have gone astray. We're good at that. We're good at not making the right decision. And oftentimes, that's I'm the reason that I am not receiving any answered prayer. God has told me how to pray. We've looked at that. He's even told me what to say. But many times, my unanswered prayers are due to the fact that I've allowed something to come between me and God. And that something is sin. That sin strains our relationship. 
if it's in your notes, but there's two verses here, in, one in Psalms and one in Isaiah. Psalm 66, 18, God says, If I regard my iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. David, through inspiration of the Holy Ghost here, says, uh, If I regard iniquity, if I keep it in my heart, He won't hear me. If I am coming to God with, uh, I know I'm doing something wrong, but bless me in spite of how I'm living, God. God, I know that what I'm doing is an exact opposite what you want me to do, but you have to do what I ask you to because I'm your child. If your own child came to you with that type of attitude, how far would they get? No. <laughs> it's really easy to say no, right? Parents, uh, that is the easiest word for us to say, no. And sometimes just for variety, we say, we'll see, but I really mean no. And God just doesn't say that we'll see. He just says no. Uh, Isaiah tells us this. He says, uh, through, uh, the, the Lord uh, wrote uh, through Isaiah, your iniquities have separated you between you and your God. We go all the way back to the grandest of uh, the example of that is, is, is uh, man's uh, nature. Our sinful nature separated us from, from God. Back in the Garden of Eden, Adam sinned, Eve sinned. What did they do? They ran. And he hid himself from God who was not coming like a policeman trying to get him in trouble. He was coming as a father. I can't, uh, we, 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 I believe that, that God and Adam had enjoyed a time like this, uh, previously and God was coming back. Now God knew what was, what was there. God knew that there was a problem, but Adam hid himself. God, I've got something. I don't want, I don't want you to see me right now. I'm naked. I've got sin. Now Adam had been naked the whole time. He didn't realize that it hadn't been a problem. And then all of a sudden he realized that knowledge. Yeah, remember? That's why he ate the fruit, so I can have the knowledge. Yeah, you have the knowledge now. And it's not exactly as good as you thought it was, is it? And so now he's, he's hiding. Iniquity separated him from God. And that's the whole reason why Jesus Christ had to come as a man and die on the cross and pay for our sins to reconcile us. A big fancy word, just to bring us back to God. To bring us back together because Though God wanted us back, He is a just God and He can't just overlook sin. Forgiveness of sin doesn't mean, well, okay, we'll just forget, forget about it. It means something, there still is a price that has to be paid. I was talking to, uh, to, to a, four, a couple of people yesterday, four, uh, not yesterday, a couple of days ago. And I was trying to explain this to them. I, you know, if I go and steal your car and I'm, you know, driving all around, you know, driving like I stole it because I really did. And then the police catch me and uh, and then and then, they, you know, they're going to put me in jail and say, well, you know what? I actually washed the car and vacuumed the interior, had it detailed and everything. So let's just call it even. That doesn't fly. I mean, that, that doesn't matter. Well, you know, you did a bunch of good deeds. So we're going to make that balance out your bad. You know, your bad deeds still have to be paid for. The bad deeds are still there, glaring, you know, glaring me at me in the face, and all the good deeds I want cannot make it okay. And that's what that's what our sin does is it separates us from God. And so that's why Jesus came, and He came to uh, be a bridge, if you will, to pay the pay the price that sin required, so that man and God could once again be reconciled. God did this Himself, so that we could come back to God. But as we grow in the Christian life, we're not sinless. We're not going to, uh, you know, all right, I'm saved now and I'm good to go. I'm perfect. I don't think any of us, and if you raise your hand and say you are, then you just disqualified yourself. 
But you know, we're 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 not we're not um, we're not going to make it through until death with perfect lives. And there are there there are times we still have that sinful nature, and as Paul talks about it a lot, and he says there are things inside of me I really don't want to do, but I keep finding myself doing. You ever found yourself that way? You're doing things that you know you're not supposed to do, and it's almost like there's something else inside of you taking over. Yeah, it's their flesh, and it's controlling you. And he says, but I see also there's another there's another uh, war going on in, in in my body, and it's the things that I really want to do, I'm not doing. The things that I know are good and the things that I should do, I don't do those. And, 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 and Paul says, he throws up his hands if he wants says, who shall deliver me from this body of this death? And he says, I thank my God through Jesus Christ. Because as a Christian, I have the Spirit of God living inside of me and I have a wicked old flesh and they're fighting. They don't get along. They don't have anything in common. And the flesh had ruled me until Christ came in. And now he's moving, he's trying to move the flesh out and the flesh is kind of comfortable where he is. And so there's a fight going on. And so I have this sin in my life. And so as I get sin, uh, as I sin and as, as, it, as it enters my life, the Bible says that if it remains there, it becomes a prayer blocker. And we won't look at all of them today. I've, I've, I've included a lot of verses in your notes. You could take a look at them uh, later on, the ones that we, get, we don't get to look at. But there are things that come into my life and anything that comes between me and God is sin. Okay, we can just blame, blame it. Lay it out there real plain. doesn't matter if it's a good thing. If it comes between me and God, it's sin. You know, um, if, it's a, if it's a bad thing, obviously it's sin. But if it's, if it's something that's neutral, if it comes between me and God, it's now a sin. And so God says those are the things that will prevent your prayers from being answered. And obviously God doesn't put the sin there. God doesn't sin to put a block between us. It's me bringing that baggage with me. And eventually, every once in a while, or maybe a lot in a while, I have something that comes up and I'm praying and it's like I'm hitting this brick wall in my prayers. Have you ever prayed that way? And you felt like God's not listening? One reason might be that there's something there instead. Those of you with kids, you know, you're, you told your child to do something. Maybe you go clean your room or pick up the toys over there and they want to talk to you about something else. If you're like me, you don't give, you know, you're not that patient with it. You're like, I don't really care right now. I don't want to see the picture you drew. I don't want you to go do this. I want you to go do what I said to do. And while there's still that thing there that you're, while there's still disobedience, not listening. We're not going to get ice cream. We're not going to watch right now. They're on this. Can we watch a family movie? Can we stay up? It's summertime. It's still light out. Why do we have to go to bed? Cause I'm tired of you. All right. That's why you're going to bed. It doesn't matter if it's at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. At the bedtime is when I said it is. And uh, the earlier you get up, the sooner you're going to bed. But uh, they're, they're probably going to bed here as soon as we get out of church. But uh, the, the, uh, the, the, these, these things that bring up, you know, really, if, you would, if you're a parent, if you look at the relationship that you have with your children, it will help you to understand the relationship that we have with God. You just have to reverse the roles. You're the child, and God is the Heavenly Father. And there are things that we do that prevent us from getting the things that we want from our Father. So let's look at them just briefly this morning. Uh, in First Samuel, I, I put two passages down there. But First Samuel, the prophet tells Saul, he says that God values obedience over sacrifice. This is the story when Saul was got impatient. He didn't want to wait for the man of God to come. No, uh, only the priests could offer sacrifices. Saul was not a priest. He was not allowed to do that. 
And there's some reasons why that pertain to Jesus and the Messiah and all that. But he was not allowed to do that. And he stepped into an unauthorized role, if you will, and almost as if God was waiting to see if he was testing, which I think he was. As soon as he finishes the sacrifice, here comes the prophet. And uh, the prophet basically says, uh, you, you have committed the sin of rebellion. And rebellion is as the same as witchcraft. My parents used to grind that into me. I don't know if your, your parents used to quote that often to you. I, I learned that just as much as I learned Ephesians 6.1. And, uh, you know, I, I learned these verses about, uh, and it was, obedience is better than sacrifice. Sacrifice is some great big thing that I do uh, out of a willing heart. And God says, I'd much rather you just have to do what I said. Simply obey rather than make some great sacrifice. And then he tells Joshua in Joshua chapter 7, right after they uh, fought the battle of Jericho, God told uh, Israel, he said, you don't take anything out of Jericho. I don't want any, I don't want you to take any, any money, no clothes, no animals, nothing. It's all mine. It was the tithe of the land, of the promised land. When they went in, it was all supposed to be burned to the ground and that's it. And Achan, you remember the story of Achan? He comes and he, he sees some, some uh, garments and he sees some gold and silver and he takes these things and buries them under his tent. And then they go off and fight this little battle of AI. Uh, it would be the, the equivalent, if you will, of going up against, you know, defeating the United States Army soundly and then going up against, you know, some little tiny island and them, and them whooping it. You know, they, they don't have the manpower, they don't have the numbers, they don't have the size, the strength, the technology, the military might. And Joshua's dumbfounded. And he's on his face and he's, and he's crying out before God. And he's like, God, what's going on? I thought you were going to give us this land. And, and I mean, you were obviously present and active in Jericho. And now all of a sudden, AI? And God says, get off your face. It's not time to pray. There's sin in the camp. As long as there's sin in the camp, as long as there is disobedience, I don't want to hear you. There is there's a time to pray, and then there's a time to get up and do something about what you're talking about. And God says, Josh, you got he was allowed to call him Josh because he's God. And he said, Josh, go take care of the camp. And Achan and his family died that day. And then the, the relationship had and the, the, the fellowship was not once again restored. So prayer blockers. We're gonna look at three this morning, as I said, and send you home with two. Prayer blockers are things that get between me and God. Number one, we look in James chapter 5 and we see the first one. The first prayer blocker is unbelief. Simply not believing. Verse number 5, God's talking about uh, James, through James, God's uh, Spirit is talking about wisdom. And He says, if anybody lacks it, all you got to do is ask God. That's simple enough. And He says, He gives to all men liberally. God just gives it in abundance. If you, know, if you don't have wisdom, all you got to do is pray for it. And God will give it to you. And even he says, I don't, he says, abradeth not. It's just a, an old word meaning, I don't chastise you. I don't uh, rebuke you. I'm not going to make fun of you, if you will, because, <laughs> yeah, you are dumb, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, you needed to come and ask me because you're pretty stupid. No, he says, I want to give it to you. I'm waiting for you to ask. That's a pretty cut and clear promise. If you need wisdom, ask God. And I won't, I won't rebuke you for it. I won't give you a hard time. I'm just going to give it to you, and I'm going to give it to you in bucketfuls. Okay? But notice there's a little caveat at the end. He says, but, verse 6, let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. And then he gives us a, a, a pretty neat word picture here. He says, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. Have you ever 
uh, been out on a boat without an engine and without an oar and without an anchor. And it's pretty hard to kind of stay where you want, right? You, you drift. And because water will do that, it'll just, wherever the wind blows, that's where it'll take you because water doesn't keep you firm. And he says, here is a man that has unbelief. He's come and he asked God for wisdom, but he has unbelief. We'll talk about that in just a second. But he says, because of his unbelief, he wavers like the tide. It goes and it withdraws. And it rushes to the shore and it withdraws. Does the water always go that way? No, sometimes it goes that way, that way. Sometimes it goes that way, you know, this and this. It's just up and down, side to side. There's no, there's no confidence there. You don't know where it's going to go. Where is it going to lead me? You just go. Back in the days before they, you know, they, you know, invented these motors for the ships and they would just have to sail with the wind, you know, and, and, and ships that would be traveling across the ocean would be stuck on the water for days and weeks because there's no wind. And they're just praying for the slightest, you know, breeze to send the ship somewhere because they're stuck. Because they're at the mercy of the waves and the wind. Wherever the waves go, that's where they're going to go. So here's a man who prays, but isn't yet fully convinced. Now, I studied this out a little bit more and I learned something new. I used to always think that he's talking here about praying and then doubting like maybe God won't give me wisdom. And maybe that's true. We know that God said, I will give it to you, so don't doubt. I don't know why he would doubt for that. Maybe it's because he doubts God can give him wisdom. I really, I don't understand then why you would ask God for wisdom if you don't really believe God could do it. But I guess there's some of us. I think about the man in the New Testament. Uh, Jesus wanted him, uh, he wanted a healing, uh, I think for himself or for his son. And, and uh, Jesus said, if you believe, uh, you know, then you'll receive it. And he says, I believe, help my unbelief. There's always a little bit of, there's always a little bit of unbelief, a little bit of doubt. I mean, that's natural. But here God says, He says, if you, if you don't believe, notice what He says in verse number seven. Let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. I ain't giving you nothing. I ain't giving you wisdom. I'm not giving you, in fact, your prayer is blocked. Doesn't matter what you said. You had unbelief and it doesn't work. The idea of the wavering sea here leads me to think this. Wisdom is God's way to live life, right? We have the whole book of Proverbs, and it teaches us how to live God's way. And so by coming to God and asking Him for wisdom, I am admitting I need to learn to do life your way, God. So God, give me wisdom. Teach me how to live my life. But then by wavering, He's second-guessing Himself. Is that really how I want to live? I mean, I mean, the Bible does have some some not fun rules in it and i mean those those 10 commandments i mean i i mean i'd be okay with maybe five or six of them but maybe those others i'm I'm not so sure i want to do that and he's second guessing himself he's he's not really sure well you know i i look on my right hand and my left hand i see all these other people and they seem to be having a pretty good life outside of god and they seem to be doing just fine not going to church and and they don't have the bible as a part of their life and, and and they're not weighed down by all these restrictions that god has on them and and so maybe that's what I want to go on Sunday nights. We've been talking about about man's wisdom in first Corinthians and man's wisdom versus God's wisdom. And here's a man here who just can't make up his mind. Do I want to go this way or do I want to go this way? I asked the Lord for wisdom, but I'm not really sure that's what I really want to commit to. And I, I kind of get the impression. Here's a guy that wants to try a little bit of both and see what works for him. And God says, if that's the type of person you're going to be, just don't bother asking because I'm not giving it to you. Don't let don't even think that you will receive 
anything from me. He calls him a double-minded man. He thinks two different things. And he says he's unstable in every other area of life as well. This man wavers in what direction he wants to take in life. So God says, I'm not going to waste it. I'm not going to cast my pearls before swine, if you will. So as Joshua said in in, uh, chapter 24, choose you this day whom you will serve. You read the verse uh, above, before it and after it. He talks about serving the Lord, and we see this, you know, this verse is plastered in one out of every three Christian homes somewhere, right? But the, the part that I always, I always like is the part he says, if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord. Why would it be evil to someone to serve the Lord? But he's talking to a group of people that haven't made up their mind. They're wavering back and forth. Read about the children of Israel all through their deliverance from Egypt and in the wilderness wanderings and even into, even in their promised land days, they would go, they would serve the true God and they would serve Baal and then they would serve God and then they'd serve Ashtoreth and they would serve God and they would serve this one and this one and this one. They just kept going like a wave back and forth. And so Joshua at this point in history, he says, listen guys, serve the Lord. But if you think it's evil to serve the Lord, if you think it's going to hurt you, it's going to be uh, unbeneficial, unprofitable for you to serve God, then choose who you will serve. And the, the options he gives are not God. He says, whether your father served on the other side of the flood or the gods in Egypt in whose land you dwell. He said, just choose a side, though. Stop being double-minded. Stop trying to, you know, trying to uh, ride the fence. You're going to get hurt. You can't go both ways. You can't. Jesus said you can't serve two masters. It's all being double-minded. And so when I have unbelief, God says, that's going to block your prayers. And not wondering, you know, we've talked about this, and I, and I, and I want to be careful. I don't want people to think, well, I didn't believe enough, and that's why I didn't get it. Because sometimes we'll hear that. You didn't get your prayer answered because you didn't have enough faith. Well, how much faith do you have to have? Jesus said, I only need a mustard seed to move a mountain. So how much faith do I have to have? I don't think it's talking about how much I squinted my eyes and believed. If you just believe, how do you do that? I think it's, I think it's more about, have you made up your mind where you're going to go? Are you going to do something with the wisdom God gives you? Or are you just going to, yeah, we'll see if it works or not. I'm going to get a bid on this. We had some things done around here at the church, and so we would get bids, you know. I'm going to ask three companies to tell me how much it would cost to do this and then this, and then I'll choose the one I want. God says, I don't make quotes. You hire me, and then I tell you what it's going to cost. You do this, and, 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 and if you ask me, I'll give it to you, but I'm not going to take a, I'm not bidding this out to you. No, it says unbelief will block your prayers. Number two, we go to chapter four, and we see it. Uh, he talks about prayer some more, and we'll be in chapter four for the, for the, la- for the rest of the time that we have together. But he says in verse number one, he says, from whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your lusts that war in your members? You lust and you have not. You kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you have not because you ask not. You ask and receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your lusts. We looked at this uh, two weeks ago and talking about my wrong motives. If I have the wrong motive, God won't answer my prayer. But I wanted to take it, uh, talk about it a little bit further and talk about how it blocks my prayer and it's lust or greed. Or selfish desires, however you want to, however you want to look at that. But it is, it is when I desire something, my flesh is led by lusts. Right now, I have a sugar cookie scented candle 
burning in my office. You can't smell it right now. And if you did, you would have the ultimate desire for a sugar cookie because it's one of those I can only you know have use it for so long and then I get I get hungry for cookies. But uh, you know that what what I wasn't thinking about cookies and all of a sudden I walk into my office and I'm like, you know sugar cookies sound real good right now. You know I'm gonna text the wife and ask her if we can you know get some cookies. You know, we have, uh, around Christmas time or something, we'll, we'll get an apple pie scented candle, right? That makes you want some cheesecake, doesn't it? No, it makes you want apple pie. Like, oh man, that sounds really good right now. Or you see walking, someone walking around and my eyes see someone else eating a chocolate chip cookie. And what do I want? I'm real good at saying no to temptation until it's right in my face. <laughs> you know, uh, I got some Reese's pieces from the, for Father's Day, a little jar of them. Those are almost gone. And uh, those are, I wasn't, I'm not a Reese's Pieces guy. I know I like crave Reese's Pieces, but you know what happens when they're sitting there right beside me while I'm sitting on the couch watching TV? You know, doing that. You know, as long as they're there, if I hide them away, my wife will do that sometimes. We'll hide chocolate. And then you find her like, oh yeah, we have chocolate. We'll go eat that. As long as it's out of sight, it's out of mind, right? But when it's in my view, I begin to desire it and lust after it. And lust is a negative connotation. It's desiring something I'm not supposed to have. Uh, when we most likely think of lust, we're thinking about the way uh, sexual desires, uh, the way that a man and a woman uh, should not have each other, and yet they desire to have one another. And, but it goes a lot of different ways. And, and lust is sinful. And, and God's, uh, J- James is teaching us here, through the Holy Spirit here, he's saying, you want these things and you want them so bad it's become sinful. And notice what you do. He says, you're not seeking it through God's, through God's will. You don't care if it's God's will or not. You just want what you want and you want it now. And he says, look what you'll do in verse number, uh, verse number, uh, uh, two. He says, you lust and you have not. So I want something that I don't have. So what do I do? You kill and you desire to have and you cannot obtain. I'm willing to kill. I'm willing to go to violence to get what I want. We don't see it displayed this extremely, but going to the nursery with all these, these, you know, these beautiful little babies in there and one gets a toy that the other one wants, what do they do? Whack, you know? That's their version of killing. I mean, they'll, they'll hit. I don't care what's in my hand. I'm going to hit you over the head with it because I want what you have. And as we grow, those, those reactions hopefully dissipate and we've learned to, you know, if Larry has something I want, I don't hit him over the head with whatever's in my hand to get what he wants. If he's, you know, I just, I just, uh, I have my more sophisticated ways of lusting, you know. Maybe I guilt him into, uh, well, you should probably have that anyways. And maybe that's about, you know, and I, we, we have our different ways of, of uh, handling our lust. But here he says, he says, these people, he says, you want something so bad, you're willing to kill? He says you fight for it. He said in, uh, later on, he says you kill and, and desire to have not obtained. You fight in war, yet you have not. Why? Because you ask not. He says you don't look to God. You're not looking at God to meet your needs. You really want something so bad. You've not entered your closet and said, God, uh, what would you think about this? Would this be within your will for me to have these things? He says you just go for it. And then he says you, ask, you have not because you ask not. So here's these people that were like, oh, you know what I'm going to do? I forgot, I'll go pray for this thing. And so he says later on, he says, in verse 3, you ask and receive not. No, wait a minute. You said just a a phrase ago, you don't have it because you didn't ask for it. But now he says, if you ask for it, you don't get it. Why? He says, because you ask amiss, that you may consume it upon your lust. You're not praying to see God's will. You're praying, say, all right, God, you're my last measure. You're my last resort. I'm going to rub the lamp and see what happens. 
and, you know, I've tried every other way. I guess God is, and I put God as like the leftovers. God is the last measure. He's my secret weapon. I really didn't want to have to get to this, but all right, God, I guess I'll God, give me the thing I want. And he says, you're asking for the wrong thing altogether because it was a lust in the first place. It was something sinful and, 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 and you should not have had it. And you think you're going to get it from me? He says, you, if you need the things, that, if you recognize the things that you need, the Christian's response ought to be to immediately go and ask God for it. And as Jesus said, not my will, but thine. There are things that I want in life that I don't realize are not right for me. And God, you know what's best. I accept your will no matter what. And there are things that I, that I really want and I obviously don't need them, but I just think it would be great to have it. God would be, would, you know, would you, would you be able to do this? I've done that uh, many times and sometimes I get the thing I've asked for and sometimes I don't. But, but here these people are not looking to follow God. They're not looking to, uh, to, to, to satisfy God's will, but rather their own will. And, and they're seeking, they're treating God like their genie in the bottle, if you will. And he says, I'm gonna take, I mean, it's gonna block your prayer, your greed, your lusts, your selfish desires. Number three, the last one, is in chapter, in chapter four still, but in verse number six. It says, but he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisted the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted, and mourn, and weep. Let your, let your laughter uh, be turned to mourning, and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. Now, in the beginning of chapter 4, he was talking about prayers. We get through the end of chapter 4 and into chapter 5, he continues this idea of prayer, and they go hand in hand. We skipped a couple of verses uh, in between the two, but he's, he, he, he says these people who ask out of greed, he calls them adulterers and adulteresses. He, he said, and, we'll go, and that's a, for a totally different time there. But he continues to this, this thought, this conversation, and he says, listen, here's another reason why you're not getting your prayers answered. Your pride. Your pride. You were asking for something you shouldn't have had, and you were doing everything in the world you could think of to get it, and you couldn't get it, so finally you came and asked for it, and you're not going to get it. And partly because it was of greed, but also because of your pride. In my pride, I don't admit anything is wrong. I'm too proud to admit that what I did was wrong. Have you ever had to apologize to your child? A very humbling experience. Have you ever had to apologize to anybody? It's a very awkward, and I hate doing it. But the idea, hopefully, is this was so awkward and painful for me that I'm just not going to do that again, so I don't have to repeat the whole forget the ask for forgiveness process. But what some people choose to do is say, it's too awkward and hard and painful, so I'm just not going to do it. Time heals all wounds. That's not true, is it? And we, and we let this pride keep us from getting to God, from getting our prayers answered. In the passage here, we saw words like submit and humble. That's the opposite of pride. God says, submit yourself to me. Submit yourself to my will. And then we'll start talking about requests. Humble yourself. Remove the pride from your heart because the pride is that which will keep you from getting any closer to me. Because pride says, I'm number one. And God says, actually, I'm number one. And you have to get that into your brain God's number one, not me. And as long as I'm thinking about me, God says, you don't have a whole lot to talk about. 
you need to hurry up. You need to go ahead and get that taken care of before we can really talk about what you want and what you need. He uses words like cleanse and purify later on as we read. Taking the pride in my heart and cleaning that out and saying, God, i got to get rid of this. I must submit, verse 7. I must draw close, verse 8. Cleanse my hands and purify my heart, verse 8. I must humble myself, verse 9. And again, he even refers to these double-minded people in verse 8 again. He says, cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. He just told us what double-minded people are. These people that can't really figure out what they want to do. I'll serve God. Nah, maybe I'll serve myself. That's more fun. I'll do what God wants me to do. Nah, well, you know, God doesn't ask me to do fun stuff. We go back and forth. And God says, cleanse your hearts. Get rid of that pride. Get rid of that, 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 that greed. Get rid of that unbelief. Stop trying to do it your way. Humble yourself. Confess your sins. We go back to those verses I showed you at the very beginning. If I regard iniquity in my heart, God says, I'm not going to hear you. If you're proud and you won't ask for forgiveness, God says, there's not much to talk about then. If you're going to be bitter and you're going to regard any kind of sin in your life, and I come to God and I know I've got something. Uh, we didn't include the verses, but Jesus said, if you go to the altar, and that was the worship in those days, if you go to the altar with a gift, and while you're there, you remember you have something against your brother. We're gonna, I'll, I'll give you the verse. You can look at it. He says, stop what you're doing and go take care of that right away. If you come to God and you realize there's something between me and God, stop what you're doing and take care of that right away. Because when that's in the way, it's a brick wall and nothing's getting through. And if you've ever prayed and said, it just feels like I'm talking to myself, you might be. Feels like God's not listening. He might not be. So look at your life. One of the one of the first things we ought to do and regularly, God, is there anything in my life? And it's painful, and I hate doing it. I hate asking God, show me what you're not pleased with in my life. Do you know why I hate asking that? Because God is really good at bringing up things that he's not pleased with in my life. He's so good at finding stuff that he's, well, now that you mention it, Here's my list. <laughs> okay, I got one at a time. And I think he does that sometimes. I pray and I say, God, what and he'll bring something to mind. I'm like, really? That's the problem? That's a sin? Man, I really liked that. I really didn't want to have to apologize. I really, okay. Ask for forgiveness. And the next time I ask him, he brings something up again. I'm like, wait a minute. I thought we were good. No, no, Tim, you, you're a very slow work in progress, Tim. And one, one little chip at a time, we're gonna, we're gonna clean you up and, and, uh, uh, and then he's got all of eternity to make me good. But, you know, that's, that's what we ought to be doing very regularly. God, is there anything in my life? And you know what? When there, when, when God brings up something, don't wait. Don't say, okay, yeah, that's, that's right. Next time I'm in my prayer closet, I'll take care of that. Right then. God, forgive me for that. That's wrong. I should not have done that. Sorry. Please help me not to do it again. Please lead me. Uh, you know, show me if there's steps that I took, maybe the things that I need to do not to get myself in this situation again. Right then and there, God, I'm so sorry. God, please forgive me. I'm not asking for salvation again. I'm just asking for forgiveness because I let something creep into my life that blocked our relationship. And you know, the, the greatest thing about being a Christian is not going to heaven when you die. 
The greatest thing about being a Christian is having a relationship with God. And when sin enters my life, it damages that relationship. And if I continue to allow sin and more sin and more sin, I'm going to have a very weird, fragile, sick, anemic relationship with God. I've got to start cleaning that up. First John 1 John 1.9, I put it in your notes there. The best, quickest solution to sin in my life we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Simple, humble attitude, confession. God says, that is a prayer I'll listen to. That is a prayer I'll answer. If you're ever coming and asking true repentance, God says, I will listen. And I will give you the forgiveness you so desperately need. Very quickly, and we won't even look at them. I, I just told you I'd send you home with two of them. The prayer blockers are also things that come between me and other people. Not just between me and God. God is very interested in my relationship vertically, but He's also in my relationship with you. And if I have problems with you, we have problems. Sometimes it's because I have unresolved conflicts. Sometimes it's because I have an uncaring attitude. And there's several scriptures there you can look at and see. If these things happen in my life, God says, we can't talk. You need to go and fix this. As we looked at last week, God is very interested in cultivating a relationship between me and Him. But He's also interested in teaching me about relationships with His people and with other people out there. Think about this. How good of a Christian can I be if someone out and that's unsaved, that doesn't, a believe in Christ, and if I've got a problem with Him and I'm unwilling to forgive, how are they ever going to understand about a God who can forgive anything? If Christians have this attitude, I could never forgive that. I could never forgive you for what you did. But let me tell you about Jesus who forgives everything. No, no, no. If we have the love of God from God, we have it to give. If we have forgiveness from God, we can give it to others. And so there are some, some times when prayers are blocked because of the problems that I have with people. God says, I've told you the things that prevent our communication. And it's really up to us. We can come to God with our requests. We can come with Him with our long list of things that we want and need. But the first thing on our list ought to always be forgiveness. God, what's in my life that shouldn't be there. And if you'll ask, honestly, humbly, God will tell you. And God is gracious, and God is merciful, and He might only give you one or two things at a time and say, I don't want to discourage you with how many problems you have. So let me just tell you one of these things. I need you to fix this. This has been an issue that I'm not really pleased with this, and I'm glad you I'm glad you care enough about our relationship that you're willing to do something about this. So here it is. And it's up to us. What are we going to do?